0: Thanks for joining us. Today, Pastor Michael Heim will share with us a challenging and encouraging message from the Word of God. It is our prayer as you listen to this message that it will draw you closer in your walk with God and give you strength to walk daily in His grace.
1: Take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Acts. Go to the 16th chapter. But I want you to find verse 30 In verse 31 in Acts chapter 16. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, that's Paul and Silas, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Amen. So this whole story, as Paul was coming to this point, and and he came down to this conclusion in verse 30 and 31, was that... They had been thrown in prison. The reason why they were thrown in prison is because they had delivered a psychic girl who, used to, who told the future to the Lord. But before I get to the story, let me tell you a little bit about the Apostle Paul. Paul was not the best person in the world. Paul was an evil man. Even though he, what he did, he did for the glory of God, he was still an evil man. He found the Christians, he drugged them off, he oversaw the stoning of Stephen. He even had some, or he he saw the overseeing of some being killed, thrown in prison, and, and beaten, and stripped, and everything else. Paul was a very horrific person who sought out the Christians and to do this to them. And he thought he was doing it all for the glory of God. And one day, Paul, God got a hold of him. On the road to Damascus to torment and put the Christians in Damascus, in prison there, God knocked him off his high horse, I like to say, literally, off his horse. And Jesus asked him this question, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he says, who are you, Lord? And he realized it was the Lord, and he says, yes, it's you, and you're persecuting me. And the Lord went on and told him that how much he was going to have to suffer for his name. And God delivered Paul on that day. He had a turning point in his life. He had a touch from God. Even though he was in religion, even though he thought what he was doing was for God, he now came to a fresh touch from God and became real to him. He realized that religion is not the answer. Relationship with Christ is the answer. Not knowing about Jesus, but turning to Jesus. So he, he got saved there that morning. And and Paul began to preach the gospel like no one ever has preached it in the whole entire Bible. I mean, when you think about Paul and how much he has to suffered, how much he suffered for the name of Christ, he he did more so than any other person in the Bible. All because Jesus told him that you were going to suffer greatly for my name. But when you look at Paul's life, he wrote thirteen books, he planted churches on two different continents. Today we are still blessed by the readings and the teachings of the Apostle Paul. A couple of things in Paul's life as you read his testimony throughout all of his books, he said things like, forget what is behind and strive forward to what is ahead. Those are things that we need to remember. Because sometimes we all have horrific past that we can't get beyond. We just keep bringing up the past in our lives. You all know, let me tell you something about your past. You need to bury your past and you need to go forward in Christ. Forget what is behind, strive forward to what is ahead. Paul used another phrase that I love. He says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul got saved in his life. His earthly, physical life meant nothing to him other than what his spiritual life could do for the Lord. And if going to prison was what he had to do, then to then the prison it was. To, to die was what he had to do, then he was willing to give his life. He loved Christ so much that he was willing to do this. He had a turning point in his life. Paul went on down in Philippians and he said that whatever he considered worthy, Paul was a man of great credentials. He says, now I consider them lost. I consider them garbage. And he went on down in the book of Galatians and he says, if I ever boast, may I only boast in the Lord Jesus Christ to whom the world is crucified to me and I to the world. Paul had so many great things. God got a hold of Paul. And that's why as we get into this story, we see such a passion of Paul. See, the story is, back in verse 16, they were going to a place of prayer. And they went there as they were doing this every day, and a girl who predicted the future came up, and she earned a lot of money for what she did. She was known as what we would call a fortune teller today. And so this girl followed Paul around, and she began to shout, that these men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved... And she kept this up over and over and over until Paul was just perturbed about it. And he turned around and he cast out the demon that was in her. Immediately the demon left and this girl was saved. You would think that would be a good story, wouldn't you? That's a great thing. She got saved. Uh-uh. The world doesn't like that. Because all they could see now is their profits plummeting. And so what they do to Paul and Silas? They got them, drove them out into the market the place to the, the face of the authorities. And they began to classify them. These men are Jews. They're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. These, These are Christians today. These are Christians who stand up for their faith. Let's just put them in prison or let's put them in jail without any bail or anything else. And notice what the crowd did in verse 22. They attacked Paul and Silas. And the magistrates had them ordered to be beaten and they, they had them stripped and beaten at that. And after being severely flogged, and that was a, a great form of to- torture and punishment, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon re- receiving the orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Not only did Paul and Silas get beat and stripped and thrown into prison, but they were put in the inner prison. They were put in the most darkest dungeon that you could possibly put somebody There's no running water, no toilets there. This is horrible conditions. And let's go on and read the story. About midnight, Paul and Silas was praying and singing hymns to God and and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a, a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken and at once the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew a sword and was about to kill himself because he thought his prisoners had escaped. Because if they, he didn't kill himself, he would be killed. Because if prisoners on your watch escaped, you would, they would kill you. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself, for we are all here. Now notice that. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus. You and your household will be saved. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his family were baptized. The jailer brought them out into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God and he and his whole family. So when we look at these stories, we can begin to see why Paul, in his turning point, began to bring this jailer to his turning point. And that's what it's all about. Because a couple of of things here before I get into the text, is that I see three things happening here in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were complaining and griping to God because they were faithful and he threw them in prison. Is that what it said? No, they were singing and praising God. And if I know anything about the Apostle Paul that had a gutter-to-glory testimony, a complete turnaround in his life, there was a proclamation going on here. In the midst of the singing, in the midst of the praising, I guarantee you Paul was, was proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to those prisoners and to that guard and everybody else. And I could, I could probably hear it something like this. You know, you're beating me, but let me tell you about a man who was beaten for you. His name is Jesus Christ. And by his stripes, you can be healed, Philippian jailer. You can throw me into the prison, but you know what? Even though I'm in prison, I am more free than you are because you are bound in your own sin for eternity, Mr. Philippian Jailer. You're the one that's in prison. Paul wasn't sitting there and, and just griping to God about these things. He was proclaiming the truth. Him and Silas were praying, and they weren't praying. God, deliver me out of this this inner dungeon of darkness. And why did you do this to me? I don't understand the circumstances. I've been faithful to you. I go to church. I give. I do everything for you, God. And you put me in prison? What kind of God are you? He wasn't praying like that. If I know Paul in his turnaround point in his life, he was praying like this. God, thank you for putting me here. Because if you did not put me here, I would not have the opportunity to witness to all these prisoners and to witness and have this turning moment in the life of this Philippian jailer. Thank you, God, for the circumstances that you put me in. I consider all, I'll give you thanks for all circumstances. For this is the will of God. That's what Paul was praying. Paul wasn't praying, God, deliver us. Paul was praying, God, deliver this man who just beat us to inches of our life. God, pray. I pray for those that are around me that are listening right now. I pray for them to hear the gospel of Christ through this torture that you're putting us through to come to know you. And I guarantee you when you proclaim Jesus and you begin to pray in the midst of the darkest times in your life, one thing happens. You know what it is? Praise. Praise. They were singing hymns to God. That's amazing, isn't it? How many of us could sing in the darkest time, the darkest pain in our life. And that's what makes the difference. Jesus makes the difference. Only Jesus can give you a song in the dark. Only Jesus can let you pray in the midst of the hardships that we go through. Only the life in Christ gives us the ability to proclaim His name in the most adverse circumstances. And that's what Paul was doing. Paul had his turnaround moment, and God changed this man. And now it's Paul's time to share his testimony and change this man's, this Philippian jailer. And we don't know the rest of the story. I would love for there to be another book written out there that I could go somewhere and buy that was a story of the Philippian jailer and his house and what God did through the years in his family. But I'm sure something happened right there. They were being delivered. They were praising in the midst of the storm. They were doing all these things. All coming to the point, verse 30. A turning point for the Philippian jailer. This was a hardened Roman soldier given orders to guard them intently, put them in the inner prison. This man was on the job. This man was loyal because as soon as the earthquake came and the doors flew open, he was fixing to kill himself because he didn't want to be killed. This man was a loyal subject of the Roman government. No one was going to escape his watch. This was a hardened man who probably beat Paul and Silas without any compassion, any mercy. Kind of like we watched on the the Passion of the Christ when they scourged Jesus. Probably what Paul received at that moment too. Without any mercy. And all of a sudden, this man has the fear of God put in him. He comes to his turning point. And that's what I want you to think about this morning. Have you ever had a turning point? From religion to true relationship. From lost to being saved. From the gutter to the glory of God. Have you had that turning point? In some degree. And what makes a turning point is one word. I want you to look at it in verse 30. It's the last word in that sentence. Say it out with me. Saved. It's also in verse 31. It's the last word mentioned. What is it? Before the hyphen. Saved. And what was the girl shouting about Paul and Silas? These men are the servants of the Most High God who are showing you the way to be saved. Saved. You know, that is an interesting word, isn't it? We need to be saved. So let's talk about the meaning of salvation. Let's talk about that. What is salvation? We all hear it through our lives to be saved and that's really the answer to the whole world's ills. is salvation. It's a Greek word that means to save, it means to be delivered, it means to make whole, it means to be safe, it means to be rescued from danger, loss, destruction, and it's figuratively, spiritually, and eternally there. That's what it's talking about, to be saved. But you know what? You've got to realize your lostness. You've got to realize the need to be saved before anyone can ever be saved. Here in the Bible Belt, we can't get people saved. You know why? Because everybody's saved. I grew up in church. I'm saved. I was baptized as a little kid. I'm saved. I'm saved. You've got to realize the loss, that you're lost in need of salvation before you can ever be saved. Here in the Bible Belt, it's hard to do that. That's why I love going to Latvia. I love preaching the gospel over there because over there, people know they're lost and they're hungry for the gospel. Over here, I've got to spend half the time convincing someone they're lost before I can ever get them saved because they don't see a need to be saved. But before you can be saved, you've got to see the need. And what is the need? It's sin. The sin is the problem. That's why we have a need to be saved, because of, of sin in our life. Let's talk about what is sin. Sin, according to the Bible, 1 John 3, 4, tells us that sin is lawlessness. It means it doesn't, it's, an, it's totally anarchy. It has no rule. It has no submission. It does what it wants to do. That's sin. Lawlessness. We see sin rampant in this world because it has it's just it has nothing to do with God's law, and that is sin. First John five seventeen, 17, the Bible says that sin is wrongdoing. In quote unquote, it says all wrongdoing is sin. Wrongdoing according to what? According to the Word of God. James four seventeen, sin is not only doing wrong, it's failing to do what's good, to do what's right. That is sin. When we know the good that we ought to do, James said to us, and we fail to do that, we sin. So it's not about that we just don't do bad. It's the, failing to, do the it's failing to do the good is sin. And then, of course, anything that's not of faith is sin. So according to that, we all fall short of the glory of God, and we are called sinners, aren't we? Anybody in here, have you ever broke the law? Just a little bit. Some of you I know are perfect, and you don't break laws, but anybody ever break a law? Yeah, we're all guilty. We're all guilty of breaking the law. If I suspended you over a cliff with ten links of chain, how many links of chain would have to break before you plummet to your death? Just one. One link. How many laws do you have to break in the sight of God to become a sinner, condemned? Just one. If you have broken a law of God, any of the Ten Commandments, have you ever skipped church on a Sunday? You've broken God's law. You're a sinner. You're condemned. You've fallen short of that glory of God. Have you ever taken God's name in vain? You're a sinner. Have you ever cheated on a husband or wife? You ever stole anything? Young kids with computers, you ever download those illegal movies and watch them? Pirating, we call it? Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever disobeyed I'm talking to adults here too. Have you ever disobeyed or did you ever disobey your mom or dad? Dishonor them? We're, we're guilty. We're all in the need of salvation this morning because we see now the need to be saved because we are sinners in the eyes of God. We all fall short of the glory of God. If heaven was 20 foot gap between us and you ran your hardest and you jumped and you made 19 and three quarters feet, you still didn't make it, did you? See, we need to be saved. Being good doesn't get you saved. Going to church doesn't get you saved. Being baptized doesn't get you saved. Speaking in tongues doesn't get you saved. Being a good person doesn't get you saved. Being a, to turning over a new leaf doesn't get you saved. There's only one thing that gets us saved. It's when you realize your need to be saved. And then you begin to fall on your face and ask God to forgive you of your sin. So if that is what sin is, now let's go back to salvation. And let's talk a little bit, maybe salvation is a little bit more understanding to us. See, salvation here, to be saved. But what, what did they need to be saved from? He said, what must I do to be saved? Was the Philippian jailer really talking about of trouble, of physical trouble, of the, of the collapsing of the building on top of them because of the earthquake? Was that what they needed to be saved from? Was, they, was, was he fearful of the Roman government coming in and killing him? No, because all the prisoners were there. No one had escaped They were all listening. They hung around to watch this story uh, unfold. So what was this jailer talking about? What must I do to be saved? If it wasn't the government, it wasn't the building, then what was it? He realized at this moment in his life, this turning point, that it was spiritual. That he needed to be saved and delivered from his troubles, his sin trouble. He was in trouble with God. The referee had thrown the flag and called the penalty. Death. Death. And now you have to suffer. We need to be saved. Being saved saves us from the penalty of sin. See, the Bible says that we, there is none righteous, no, not one. We all are like sheep have gone astray. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. We're all going to suffer the penalty of sin, which is eternal condemnation in a place called hell. Because when you reject the love of God, you inherit the wrath of God. It's the only alternative there is. The penalty of sin but salvation has more than just the, 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 the past it also there's being saved saves us from the power of sin you know the Bible says in Titus chapter 2 verse 11 that it, the, grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness we don't have to sin if we don't want to sin as a believer every time you sin it's a willful choice against God his spirit and his word it's willful defiance against God because the spirit of God tells you it's wrong whether it be some small lie, whether it be some grand lie, whether it be stealing something, whether it be cheating, whether whatever it is, you know better. But salvation has a present part in our life that's teaching us to say no to ungodliness. But it also it's a future aspect of salvation. Paul was telling this Philippian jailer, hey, you can be saved from your penalty of sin, which is eternal death. You can be, live a righteous life that's going to give you the power to daily live. But also, he was telling this jailer that there's a future aspect to salvation and that's going to be the presence of sin. One day you'll be made whole. You won't have to worry about this constant weight of sin in your life. How many of you are tired of battling with sin? How many of you are tired... Younger folks, maybe you're not there yet, but you know we deal with those outward sins a lot. Older folks, we deal with the inner sins a lot, don't we? The critical spirits, the attitudes, the things like that. And it really tears us up inside that we're like that. How many of us long to be delivered from that? See, that's what the meaning of salvation is. Now look at verse 31. And let's look at the second part of this. Let's talk about the man of salvation. He says, Believe in the Lord Jesus. Some translations have the word Christ there, and you will be saved. Notice what Paul's answer was to his question. The greatest question anyone can ask, the greatest answer anyone can give. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Notice that Paul said Lord. It's a word there that talks about master. It's talking about a word that means boss. It means ruler. And I think this is the key. What Paul was telling the Philippian jailer and what the message for you and I today is this. We don't need to come to Jesus and make Him our Savior only. We need to come to Christ and make Him our Lord. See, there's too many people right now, too many Christians that have made Jesus Savior, but He's not Lord. And they're the ones that don't live to the glory of God. They're the ones that's not doing the will of God. They're the ones that don't read, they don't pray, but yet they love Jesus. That's the ones that have made Him Savior. But Paul didn't say that first. Paul said this, This is how you are to be saved. Make Jesus Christ your Lord. Make Him the master of your life, the boss of your life, the ruler of your life. You submit to His kingship. And when you submit to His Word and His authority and let Him take over your life, then you understand what being saved is all about. Make Him Lord. But He put Jesus in there too. Yeshua is the Hebrew word. It means mediator. It means one who intercedes. He's the middle man. See, when Jesus Christ was on the cross, he was suspended between man and God. And it's through his death and sacrifice that Christ reconciled these two things together. That's Jesus. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Don't believe in your church. Don't believe in your sacraments. Don't believe in physical, earthly things. Don't believe in any other thing. Notice he didn't say, he used a personal name here, didn't he? Because it's at the name of Jesus. There's no other name that man can be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus. There's just something that invokes a little bit of thought about that. No one likes the name of Jesus. Just don't believe me, go into a restaurant and just shout out Jesus. makes everybody uncomfortable. Just start talking about Jesus to even church people. In a public setting, it makes them uncomfortable, even though they love Jesus. Paul said, if you want to be saved, there's only one way to be saved, and that's to believe in the Lord Jesus, period. Nothing else. Notice that Paul didn't expound any more to that text. In my translation of the NIV, it's Lord Jesus, comma. Paul's second, think about it, the Lord Jesus. Some translations has the word Christ there, which I think it's appropriate we can add to that. Messiah, I mean, it's the Hebrew word for the Greek word Christ. It means anointed one. means Messiah. Believe in the Messiah. And that's what it's all about. So Paul came to a point in his life where he believed in Jesus Christ. Not in his religion. And now Paul's testimony is bringing this man to a turning point, telling this Roman centurion who believed in his government... To a point now, he's realizing I want to believe in Jesus Christ, and so that's the man of salvation here. Now let's talk about the third thing, and the most important is the method. And notice what he said. What's that first word in the text? The only work of God is this: to believe. Jesus said, "There's only we don't work for our salvation." Paul didn't say anything about working, did he? He said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you can be saved. That word believe there is is a word that means to trust in Christ. It's used in, in, in places in the Bible. It means to rely upon Christ, to adhere to Him, to have faith in Him. It's more than a head knowledge. It's really truly a heart knowledge. Anybody can believe, even the devils and the demons, the Bible says in the book of James, they believe and they even shudder. At the name of Jesus, but their their belief is not the same Greek word as this word pastuo. It's it's a word that goes deeper. It's one that's really you're you're putting your life into the hands of Jesus Christ. That's believe. You know, it's kind of like when people make a bulletproof vest. The first guy that made the the first Kevlar bulletproof vest to prove and to to prove that it works, he had to believe in what he had created. So he puts it on. He goes, gets a gun. I forgot it was a 357 or something sticks it right there at his heart and he pulls the trigger. That's belief in what you created, isn't it? See you couldn't have a head knowledge there. You had to have a heart knowledge in that. You had to really truly believe in your product. When Jesus said, when Paul said for the Philippian jailer to believe in Jesus, it meant don't just believe that Jesus exists. Don't believe that he, don't just believe that he's in the Bible. You got to put your faith in trust In Jesus. You've got to put your whole life into His hands. You've got to let His word guide your life, begin to change your character from the heart to the mind to the actions. All these things begin to take place. That's what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. It's more than just saying, it's doing. It's a very important word. In our life. And the way that we believe is as simple as what I listed right there ABC. Do you see it? The Bible just says for me to believe in Jesus, you've got to admit Jesus Christ is Lord. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you need a turning point in your life, this is what you must do admit that you're a sinner, confess with your mouth, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. See, there comes a time in our life where we have to admit that we need to be saved, and Jesus is the only way. So we confess that His way is the right way. We confess that He is truly the Lord. And we confess that we believe this in our life. We confess it verbally with our mouth, and we believe it in our hearts. And that's the first step, what Paul is telling us, that we have to do. Secondly, he says that we've got to believe that he rose from the dead. It, notice that that was part of the requirements, to believe. Because there's power in the resurrection, because that's what Paul realized in Philippians chapter 3, that, that he wanted to know Christ and the fellowship and his sufferings and to know the power of the resurrection. If, you can't, if you're going to be a Christian and not live in the power of the resurrection, then you're going to live a defeated life for all your life. That's where the power comes in the the power of that resurrection and have the hope that one day we too will be resurrected. Believe that He rose from the dead. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died for you? Do you believe that He rose from the dead? Then you're on your way. Then notice what He said there. See, confess, or as verse 13 would say, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. See, I can't save you. All I can do is lead you to a man who can save you. I can't coerce you. I can't force you. Salvation is a personal decision. It's when you realize that Jesus Christ is truly the salvation of the world, and you realize that without Him, I am lost and hell-bound for eternity. How long is eternity? Well, if you could walk backwards to the moon taking one step every hundred years and get to the moon and pick up one grain of sand, then walk backwards one step every 100 years back to the earth and keep repeating that process till the moon is where the earth is and the earth is where the moon is and repeat that one million times that's still not equal to one second of eternity. Now where do you want to live? Heaven? Then you have to have a turning point in your life. You don't get to heaven... By being good and doing our works, we get to heaven by believing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we can be saved. Salvation is not a creed, it's not a code, salvation is not a confirmation at the age of 12 or 13, salvation is not a cause, salvation is not a church, salvation is not baptism, it's not even a sprinkling. Salvation is not being a good person. Salvation is Christ. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to me, comes to the Father, except by me. So, are you asking this morning the question of the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? A, B, C. That's all it is. Not only you, but he says your household can be saved. So I don't know where God has you and I don't know where your salvation is, but I, tr- I promise you this, that if you would just realize you need to be saved and call upon His name, you can be saved. But you have to make that decision. And the truth is, you're going to make a decision. Every one of us will make a decision this morning. Either we will believe or we choose not to believe. I'll close out with my little personal testimony. When I was 22 years old, God knew, God knew that I needed to be saved. Just married not very long I didn't think me and Amy would make it after six months my drinking my temper my attitude um, my abuse all those things and I remember sitting on the back pew all you on the back pew y'all are sinners back there (laughs) no I'm joking I sit on that back pew and I was holding on tight tight wasn't going to let go, but God was tearing my heart to pieces. Because see, I was saved, I thought I was saved at thirteen. I went to church, went to youth camp, and I got saved, and but from thirteen to twenty two, I never hardly went to church. I never prayed, I never read my Bible, I never did anything. I cussed like a sailor drank. I did everything you can possibly, every vice you can think of and dream of and create, I probably did it. And I kept I came to that conclusion of this turning point in my life and asking myself this question how can I be saved and live the way I live? And so I remember going to church, sitting on that back pew, holding on. Preacher came down to this point right here and he began to do an invitation like this. And he made it simple. He didn't do a prolonged invitation or anything. And I just remember they started singing and, and I wasn't going to let go of that pew, even though God was tearing my heart to pieces. But I, this one girl who was a year older than me, I remember seeing her let go of the pew. She probably weighed 90 pounds. And she started walking down the aisle. And I remember saying to myself, God... That little bitty girl has more guts than this big guy. And I let go, and I followed her right down that aisle. And I came down to the preacher, and I said, Brother Wayne, I said, I'm tired of being 99% sure of my salvation. And he says, Michael, he said, 99% sure is 110% wrong. you got to know. And I remember kneeling down right there. No one else came with me. I knelt down right there at Eastside Baptist Church in Henderson, and I began to just... Weep and, and ask the Lord to come into my life and to save me. I was 22 years old. I'm 48 today. I've dedicated my life to the service of the Lord. The greatest decision I ever made was finding out the answer is what must I do to be saved. I was so thankful that it was that simple because I was dumb as a box of rocks and I needed a simple answer. And so that could be you too. I had my turning point, Father's Day 1989. When was your turning point? If you cannot decisively say a time, you may not remember the date, but you've got to remember the event. You probably need to be saved.
0: We hope you have enjoyed Pastor Michael's challenge from the Word of God. If you have any questions about today's message, you can reach us at 903-759-4196 or write to us. We'd love to hear from you at 117 South White Oak Road, white oak texas 75693 for more information about pastor michael or white oak baptist church please visit us on the web at www.wobaptist.org come back and visit us again until then god bless